dear listeners, Crystal Hilsley, who works with special group of humans. That's right, our children. Crystal received her BS in psychology, is a certified master health and wellness coach, certified intuitive eating specialist, and has extensive training in parent-child interactive therapy. She utilizes methods proven to become part of a child's emotional DNA and family support tactics in her work and incorporates a variety of effective learning tools into each story workshop, and event. Combining her love for helping others with the tools and steps families can easily incorporate to heal nutritional struggles, Crystal believes every family can have a healthy future. Crystal's unique and highly effective approach incorporates participation from the whole family. The circumstances and habits which have caused frustration around meal and snack time are addressed and given action steps easily incorporate into your daily routine. Crystal is a California native and has lived all over, including Alaska and London. She's worked with Olympic athletes and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee on their nutrition goals and summit. Her daughter is her biggest teacher. Let's welcome Crystal, a woman with many talent, to help us focus on our kids to improve their clean eating habits. Hi, Crystal. Thank How are you? you? Hello. I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I am excited to have you on our platform. This is going to be great. Crystal, as you know, from your own experience, uh, personally and professionally, when it comes to children, there's no easy map. I am so excited just because I have two boys. And let me tell you, it's quite a bit of a challenge. I'm looking forward to learning as much as possible from you, as well as I'm sure our dear listeners who may have kids of their own or are interacting on a daily basis with kids. Crystal, this, this floor is yours. Let us know, first of all, who you are and how did you get into this profession? So it actually is the backstory as I was raised by a single parent. My dad actually died in a car accident when I was very young. I wasn't even two. And so my mom was left as a single parent with three-year-old and an 18-month-old. She stepped up and she put herself through nursing school to take care of us. And she was the granola mom. There's moms that have different talent, right? Like when we, when we compare ourselves, comparison is a thief of all joy. That's why the kind of saying goes that it takes a village. So there's moms that are really great at doing arts and crafts. That's not really me. There's moms that are really great at playing games with their kids. Yes, we all do that, right? There's moms that are the really high academic moms are like the tiger kind of moms. And there's moms that are granola moms. And we all learn from each other to really, and we draw on each other for support. And that's really what our kids need because it can't really be expected that my daughter's going to get everything she needs from me. And I want her to have other people that she can rely upon. So I firmly believe in helping each other and that that's why we're here. So when I was young, my mom, again, she was, a, she was the granola mom and we had a garden in our backyard. And that was not only because that was a really, really healthy way to eat, not what she believed in, not only being a nurse, but also kind of a hippie, but also because it sort of supplemented some of our grocery bills. Yeah. So I grew up just eating out of our garden, not having things like soda and candies in the house. That just wasn't part of our reality because she knew it wasn't the best thing for us. And then when I went off on my own and I grew up really healthy in the sunshine in California and going to the lake on 
the weekends and being really active and eating really clean. And I never had any health issues whatsoever. This was back in the 80s. And we played outside and drank from the hose. Then when I went off to university at 17, I started school quite young. I was, look at all this stuff. There's ding-dongs and sodas everywhere. Wow, this is so good. Because I didn't really, I never had had it before. And so I, you know, I didn't know the, the effects that it would have. And in that first year away in university, I, I gained, they, they say the freshman 15, I put on like a freshman 40. I had digestive issues. I had cystic acne. I was really depressed and I just felt terrible. And of course, you know, I wasn't really putting the two together because at 17, 18 years old, what do we think? We think we know it all. I'm an adult now. I'm off in school. So I went home that summer and my mom's a nurse and my stepdad, she got remarried. He's actually an anesthesiologist. And I was complaining of all these issues. And they were a bit like, okay, well, you're depressed. Maybe we can look at medication. We can look at some creams or something for the acne if that's really bothering you. But sweetheart, get it together because you're going back to school. Like you're not going to just do one year and then that's it. So not experience of being home. And I was really apprehensive to take any medication because I'd never done it before. And even to this day, I'm just, I'm very sensitive to medications, even Advils and things like that. I don't take very often. I'll try and holistically kind of work out a headache if I have one. So, oh, and the, the last thing was that I had these, these really intense migraines and they were sinus migraines. And so they would, they would just come on and it was like, no, no Advil, no migraine medication will take them away once they've hit this mm -hmm. zone. I even went as far at one point to have my turbinates cauterized, which means they burn them back. And that actually didn't even help. It was really painful and it didn't even help. Just in being home that summer and being outside with my family and being active and going on hikes and eating my mom's home cooked meals, within a couple of weeks, I started to feel a little bit better. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So just in kind of getting back into a healthy lifestyle routine, not sitting at school, studying away, drinking coffee to stay up at night, all the caffeine, you know, I was sleeping better. And I was just doing the things that were natural for my body to do that made my body thrive. I felt better and it was great. It didn't really click because I wasn't old enough, I think, to really comprehend it. And here I was studying psychology myself. And I'm just highly fascinated by how people's behaviors and actions and their brains work and what influences them to be the people that they are and how we can quickly change not only our physical habits, but also our mental habits, because those two go together, what you think then becomes an action. And so how can you interrupt that behavior and reprogram it? And further in the work that I do now and in my practice, when I'm working with parents one-on-one -on -one or in groups, we've got fabulous scientific studies out now, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, the ACE studies, that there are 10 childhood adverse experiences. Once those traumatic experiences are trapped in and parents don't know how to integrate those experiences and how to help them with them, they become our problems as adults. A lot of what we're working on now as adults, you get back to the root of the issue and it's from mm -hmm. something that happened in childhood. And so from birth to seven years old is when our subconscious is being programmed and our subconscious programs run 95 to 95 percent of the time. I don't mean to say it to scare people by any sense of the imagination, but the habits, actions, and behaviors that your kids are experiencing now, we fool ourselves into thinking they're just kids, this too shall pass. They're eating behaviors or their habits or these emotional meltdowns that they're having. They'll grow out of it. They won't. They become a problem when they're adult. None of us were given a parenting manual. I wish that we were, but we weren't. Now seeing that the new path is an ancient one, meaning get back to the roots of how we're meant to eat. Nutrition is a big part of it because everything that you eat, everything you put in, has an outward expressions. We've got the science behind how our guts are affected by our food and how our guts then process that food 
what is it like 80% of your serotonin is developed mm -hmm. and created in your gut goes up your vagus nerve to your brain food absolutely affects kids behavior. And we're seeing and we're living in an unprecedented time, you know, in our age group and our generation, did we have as much junk in our system as we do now, meaning the foods, the way that they're packaged and processed and the ingredients and they're that were in them? No, we, we didn't have them. And they're there now they're marketed is fantastic. And that's exciting. You know, you look at this packaged food, and you're like, that looks so yummy. And it says that it's sugar free, or it says that it's organic, or it says that it's fat free, whatever the buzzword is that these yeah. marketing agencies are getting paid billions of dollars, you look at a, an apple or an orange, that's not exciting. This packaged food is so how can we we remove some of the packaged foods or find alternative ones. And that's really my goal is it's not hard to eat clean. It really isn't. It's about how we present it to our kids and how we gave them. It's all about how you market to your own kids. Yep. And so having discussions with them. How do you have these discussions platform of what kids are and how they habitually form these behavior? How do we start our communication process or how do we introduce the habits that we think is the right method? And my third question, which you to address communication process, how can parents even begin introducing good habits when they themselves may not know their good behaviors? Kids mirror their parents. Exactly. I mean, it starts with how the parents themselves are treating food and treating themselves because our kids are mirrors. They're reflecting back to us at all times where we're at. They're, they've picked up and they've been watching us from birth. When people are like, oh, my three-year-old is just wrecking me. It's like, okay, well, who's the adult? How can you get a place that you're responding and that's being present versus reacting, which is in your subconscious brain. In regards to having a discussion with your child, it really does depend on age. And so the kids or the families that I work with, the kids are around the age of two to 12 years old, two years okay. old. It's really, really simple. Just have a very, just grounded, simple conversation with them where you can have, when it comes to a snack and choosing a healthy snack, they're watching what you do. So eat with them, right? Don't allow them. There's just a few basic boundaries, eat your meals with them and don't talk about food, have a conversation about everything else. Craft do you want to do today? What game do you want to play? Whatever it is, take the conversation off the food, especially when you're introducing a new food to them and just be really relaxed about it and have them go to the grocery store with you to choose those foods so that they're familiar with them or go to a farmer's market or go to a farm food because they're going to be excited to see that. And a lot of kids don't even know where their food comes from. They just have it on a plate in front of them. Parents want them to eat it, but they're approaching it with them almost aggressively. And kids are feeling our energy all the time. Mm, so when true. they're a little bit older, around even as, as young as five years old, we don't give them as much credit as, as they deserve. Kids are really, really powerfully intelligent and their development by age is fascinating. I mean, babies are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. There are a ton of scientific research studies out there. They're, you know, we're all just trying to get our needs met. And that starts when you're a baby. They're crying because they want out of their wet diaper, they're hungry or they're tired. Pretty simple. As they get older, their needs get a little bit more elevated, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. Mm -hmm. If you talk to your five-year-old like, hey, listen, I really would love for you to try this apples and peanut butter because we really like them and it's a really, really nutritious snack or eat it together. Let's try try it together if you're introducing that new food. Like I'll be brave if you can be brave and just have a really relaxed conversation with them. And equally the six, seven year old, you can say, Hey, you know what? Do you remember how you reacted that last time when you had a ton of sugar after that birthday party or whatever it was like that didn't feel good, did it? And you'll be surprised the kids will be really honest and they'll understand. They understand it. This is it's us that we're afraid to have the conversation, yeah. but it's about, it's also about meeting them where they're at because I see in my practice that there's widely known in the nutrition industry. 
that there are three things missing for parents as it relates to nutrition. Number one, food education. So what to feed them. Number two, feeding education, how to approach them with it. And number three, understanding child behavior and temperament. Their brains are still developing, right? Their prefrontal cortex, which is the decision-making center of their brain, isn't even fully developed until they're 25 years old. I mean, we're talking, so children need a lot of help, especially in the teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I could go down that rabbit hole for an hour if you wanted me to on, <laughs> on you know, kind of the, the allowing them to make those choices. And then, okay, so here's your action and here's your consequence. And so with younger children, it's really easy to kind of help them put two and two together, but we've got to meet them where they're at. So if they're in the middle of a meltdown, whether it's a sugar crash or they're tired or they're angry, there's kind of four reasons that kids have meltdowns. Down. They're hungry, they're angry, they're lonely, or they're tired. So it's mm. understanding where that meltdown is coming from. But what happens, and I see it more often than not, I've experienced it myself. I'm sure you have as a parent. When our kid's having this explosion, we just want it to stop. Yeah. We're meeting them with, when they're having this right brain emotional center meltdown, we're meeting them with our left brain being really logic, like, why are you crying? Okay, let's fix it. When they actually <laughs> just need to be seen and heard and they just need you to get down to their level, if you can, even a little bit lower than them so that you're not towering over them because psychologically that frightening for, ch- for young children and to just relax your shoulders, soften your tone, look at them in the eyes. Okay, I understand how you're feeling right now. Wow. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to hug? And further, I see parents and this is a this is a habit that did start in childhood for a lot of people that overeat. Oh, you you feel sad. Let me get you an ice cream. No, (laughs) you feel sad. Let's talk about it. Let's integrate that emotion. Let's talk about that experience so that they can integrate it because the adverse childhood experiences that we were talking about earlier, there are 10 top ones. And outside of yes, children going through and living in abusive situations, physically and emotionally and mentally, things are on that list like divorce and things are on that list like a death in a family, something like that. Those experiences need to be integrated for children so that they can process them through their emotional body, as well as their mental situation that they're in, they can get through it and not hold on to it. Because when we hold emotion in and think about it, when you get upset, you kind of contract, right? And then that's holding all of that energy in. We've got to get the kids to just open up, relax, okay, and allow them to talk about it and bring it up as many times as they need to until they feel safe with that situation. Because when kids don't feel safe, that's when they're acting out because they're looking for safety. They need boundaries. They need rules. They need space to stay in their creative brain, which is where they're having the most fun and they're being kids. And that's a huge part of their childhood. That is so true. I love the steps you've provided to the mothers and fathers out there. How behavior is so important. And the first thing you need to do in terms of channeling into the positive behavior is just saying, let's talk about it. I love that piece. Going towards that about talking to our young children and when they're throwing a tantrum, even at five years, even my goodness, my 13 year olds and 15 year olds, how do you even calm them down? How do you even begin the conversation to introduce and I'll give you a bit of my personal experience in the past. Of course, now it's a lot easier when they have been introduced in school and their friends and going out and their social peers, and they're seeing the junk food or processed food. And then here you are trying to provide. Now, these are obviously elementary kids that we're talking about. Then you have the apple, as we are saying, the carrots for the wonderful snacks. How do you even begin talking about being the cool mom or the cool dad that's buying you the best nutrition out there because I go through this all the time. 
it's gotten a lot better, as I said, but still, the struggle is real. It's interesting because it does depend on age. Now, you've got teenagers. I hate to be direct or harsh in saying this, Please but do. I think all the listeners will love that. But just being completely transparent and direct and honest, don't buy the junk and it won't be in the house, period. Don't buy it and they won't have access to it. They won't eat it. But when they're older and they're teenagers and they've got their pocket money and whatever your system is at home for them earning Mm -hmm. money, you know, is up to you. So how it runs at my house is the only way that my daughter earns money is by reading books or she can write a story. I want her to be involved somehow in in some type of education in that. And as she gets older, the stakes are going to get higher. That's the only way she earns money. Chores are expected. You live here. This is our home. We all take care of it. When the teenagers have that money. Okay, great. If you want to spend your money on some candy or some chips or some really gross sodas or whatever it is, that's your money to spend. But then, okay, let's let's have a conversation about it and let's talk. Now you're in this meltdown phase. You feel terrible. And teenagers want acceptance so bad in their peers. And when they go through that phase, as I did with having acne, okay, let's talk about it. Acne is internal inflammation. There's some imbalance with your hormones that's now coming out to the surface. So if you really want to get to the root of what's going on with these blemishes that you're so that you're so embarrassed of and you're mortified they're there, then let's look at what's going on in your diet and let's work together to to solve it. And to resolve that. Equally, having a conversation with your children when they're going through an emotional meltdown in their teen years, be honest with them. Say to them, hey, listen, I need you to help me out here because I've never parented a teenager before. It, just as much as you've never been through this emotional experience right now, I've never parented, so I need your help to tell me what you need. You'll often find they're kind of like, well, I don't know what I need. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. What do you think would help you? Do you want what works for my daughter or what child is going to work for the other? You have kids that are completely different personality-wise, right? One might love having words of affirmation and a lot of affection. The other one might want you to do the acts of service. There's different languages of love and I apply that to some of the work that I do as well because you've got to figure out what is it that makes your kid tick, feel love, so that they have that confidence. We think that everybody like us. And that kind of our trap in our human design and in our brain. We think that everybody is like us. So for me, I like to have some alone time. My daughter doesn't. She wants to have me all the time. And I have to have a conversation with her like, listen, we did this, this, and this together. And now I need base. Now mommy needs some mommy time because that's what fills me up. But I'm an introvert and she's, you know, she's an extrovert. But again, I think we don't give kids enough credit in knowing where they're at with their emotional development. And they've also got to have the opportunity to learn about themselves and what makes them happy. So when they're in that emotional state, again, their right brain, us coming at them with these logical solutions isn't going to work and there's going to be a clash. So we have to figure out a way that we can support them in expressing those emotions, not repressing them, because then that's the root of disease is when we repress these emotions into our body. So how can we get them to express some of these emotions? There's a lot of different modalities that I've personally used, not only in my practice and in my home, but with a lot of my clients, there's tapping, they're teaching tapping and school. I don't know if you've ever done tapping. I do breathing exercises with my daughter. I do breathing exercises with with adults. I do grounding exercises. There's a number of different ones. I just did like a a grounding cord exercise. It's a a bit, nonetheless, our power of visualization and of walking through step to make us feel safer in our bodies, it works. Who's our best doctor? 
me, for myself, because I need to walk myself through this, right? That's why there's a ton of studies out there about the placebo effect. You believe that that tablet works, it's going to work. You don't believe it's going to work. It's not going to, it's not going to have any effect whatsoever. So one of my daughter's favorite breathing exercises, if she, she struggles with a little bit of anxiety, is if at the end of the night, she's like, you know, I just don't feel right. Okay, well, let's do some breathing exercises. She breathes in, relaxes, breathes in, relaxes, and then breathes in and squeezes everything. And she squeezes that energy out and she imagines and visualizes that energy going out in front of her and then releases and pushes it away. And that works for her. That might not work for every kid in, in any situation. What's the harm in trying? What's the harm in that trying so a breathing exercise? exercise to move stress out of your body. Stress is the root of so many diseases. So many. I mean, I do breathing exercises myself. If I feel like, wow, okay, something just came up. There's actually not there's not a huge difference between being excited and being anxious. So a lot of times you have this excitement comes up, it shows up as anxiety and the anxiety numbers, especially since the pandemic have gone through the roof. But even pre pandemic, the number of kids and adults that say they struggle with depression and its friend anxiety were already off the charts and already very concerning. It's actually only 9% of kids and a number of different studies that they've done. Well, one of them, they showed only 9% of kids reported that they didn't have any stress at all. Mm. Kids are, are struggling with stress. So so how can we help them get through these situations, right? Nutrition is a big part of it because there are minerals and nutrients that our bodies need to function and be relaxed. But how can we also give them the tools, whether it's tapping, whether it's a breathing mm -hmm. exercise, whether it's a grounding exercise, there are a number of different modalities that are used in practices around the world, mindfulness technique that we can really support our kids to feel secure and feel safe and feel loved. And that's really our goal as parents. If you ask parents, what do you want for your kids? I want them to be happy and I want them to be confident and I want them to go out into the world being safe and secure in who they are. We are the best teachers for our kids. We're their so first well. teacher and we forget that. I agree. When it comes to healthy eating portion, help to you and how you were introduced at a young age, you went through some teenage crisis where you just wanted to rebel, which we all go through. That's how you realize the beauty and the power of healthy eating. You've done that well. And what areas from your professional experience have you implemented eating habit or the areas uh, that we need to incorporate healthy eating to become better in terms of how we work with our kids? How do you help your children? One of the best ways, if you ask your kids at a young age, maybe when they're teenagers, they don't want to hang out with mom and dad as much. But at a young age, from two to let's say 11 years old, you ask them who they want to spend time with, they're going to say mom and dad, they want to be with you. So take them to the grocery store with you, take them to the farmer's market, take them to the farms, have an experience so that they can actually feel involved and in control of what food choice are being provided. And when you get that food home, what I always recommend is have them help you cook it. So pick out a recipe together okay, what is it that you want to eat? All right, right, let's make this recipe together. We're going to go to the store. We're going to go, we're going to come home. Five-year-old can kind of help mix the ingredients in a bowl. There are age-appropriate tasks. Eight or a nine-year-old can help peel potatoes, things like that, and have them help cook it because it's scientifically proven now that it takes kids and adults 11 times of trying something before they decide that they like it. So you have to continually introduce it. Now that wow. number can be can be reduced. So yeah, so if you if you present to them steamed broccoli and they don't like it the first time, okay, well, you know what? Try one bite and if you don't like it, you can politely spit it out in your napkin because we've got to get them to taste it. Again, no pressure. We're not forcing them, but just try one bite. And if you don't like it, you can spit it out in your napkin and that's our rule. So when it comes down to the mealtime boundaries, I always say, yes, get them helping in the kitchen 
once, if not twice a week, I'm not suggesting this every single day because it would take forever and it would be the biggest mess. And I get it. We just want to parents. It's like, I I just want to get my chores done. I want to get my errands done. I want to get dinner cooked and I want to get them to bed, but get them involved in the kitchen because that's really going to excite them when they're younger. Just like when you go to a restaurant for breakfast and they give the kids the pancakes that has the happy smiley face, they get excited. And there are tons of people out there. I've worked with a couple of different influencers that make art out of food for kids and they're so excited to eat it. They're like, I want to eat this thing that looks like a snowman. I want to eat this thing that looks like a garden when it's made out of lettuce and kale. They're excited too. So we have to make it look visually Yeah, can use things like cookie cutters to cut things into fun shape. Again, they did another study on this and they found that kids are four to five times more likely to eat it when it's cut into a fun shape. So why not use the science that they are free benefit and consistent with the schedule? Because again, we thrive on schedules. And I know the pandemic has thrown all of us all over the place. And whether your kids are in a hybrid school or they're fully online Zoom school, whatever, they need a schedule. So stick with a schedule at home. And that's going to give everybody an idea and know and be prepared for what's coming next. So eat with them every opportunity that you get so that they're watching and learning through your behavior. As young as soon as they can sit in a high chair, sit with them. And even if it's you're having a couple of bites of, of some of the dinner, they've got a full meal in front of them because maybe you eat later when your husband comes home from work or whatever it is. But eat with them on that schedule and don't have any distractions at the table. So no, no phones, no iPads, nothing. What's really helpful too, is to have music on how think about it like this. And here's my, my storytelling analogy on this. As adult, you go to a nice restaurant, they've got nice music. So it's relaxing. They've got a really calm, relaxed environment. They've got candles on the table. It's really chill. They bring you this plate. It looks gorgeous. And what happens? You're so excited to eat. So how can we translate that experience and replicate it for our kids? Have music on at home. It can be background music, like something really calm. It doesn't have to be dance party time. Have that calm music playing and make it just really relaxed. Okay, it's time to sit and have dinner. And again, then when you sit down at the table and you serve them, they're extremely picky eaters or not extremely, but just kind of your general picky eater. I don't want to try this. I don't want to touch that. Put it on their plate anyway. And again, if they've not had it before, maybe you've cooked a different way. There's 10 different ways to cook broccoli, right? There's 10 different ways to cook Brussels sprout that that will get them excited about it. So put it on the plate, always make one thing that you know that they'll eat so that it's kind of their safe food, but you've got to continually introduce it. So stay on the same schedule, no distractions at the table. If they take forever to eat at a timer. Okay. After 15 minutes, we're done. When mealtime is over though, here's the thing where the boundaries come in and parents are like, Crystal, I can't do that. And I'm like, but yes, you can. And you're going to have to, it's a little bit of tough love. I know parenting is hard work. It's our toughest job. You and I know that as much as we do all of our other things with business, our kids are our biggest teachers and they're our toughest job. So you're going to have to say to them, okay. And the kitchen is closed after mealtime. Let's say that bedtime is 8, 8.30, and there are recommendation, recommendations for sleep by age. And if you can get two things right in life, no matter what age you are, your sleep and your nutrition, you'll be set up for life. You'll be fine. But kids need sleep. They need, my daughter is 10 years old. She sleeps like 11 hours a night. She needs it, right? She does. Okay, the kitchen is closed. Let's say her bedtime is 9 o'clock. We have dinner about 6.37. That keeps her, that keeps her full until she goes to sleep. I'm not against giving snacks. Just don't give sugar 
sugar snacks, right? You can have things like carrots and hummus or apple and peanut butter, something like that, where they're getting something in their stomach so that they're not laying in bed saying, I'm starving and I can't sleep. But we don't want them to say, okay, well, I'm not going to eat dinner because I know mom's going to cave and give me a snack later. So it's no, <laughs> this, is, this is dinner. And I don't, I'm not a short order cook. I don't make a different meal for everybody in the house. This is dinner. And if you really don't want that, I'm super sorry, but that's what I made for dinner. And so we've got to start getting them on board because when there's food, they will eat. They're, your kids are not going to starve themselves. Don't buy the junk and it won't be there. Set those boundaries in the place of making the environment really relaxed. Again, not talking about you need to eat and you have to eat 10 bites before you get this cookie or you get dessert. I don't believe in any of that at all. And it's actually proven psychologically that it doesn't work for kids because when we tell them, okay, oh, you're such a good girl or you're such a good boy because you ate your dinner. When they don't, does that make them bad? What is that actually telling them? what beliefs are we programming? Because there are beliefs that we all live off of our beliefs, right? We design our lives around our belief systems. We're programming kids from an early age. It's really a, it's not a tricky dance. It's about showing up, behaving the way that we want them to behave because they're gonna watch our actions not do what we say. And we have to be in alignment with being calm and present and allowing them to, to express who they are, but in a safe way. I follow to the T when it comes to the kitchen being closed and not bringing in the junk food. And I was laughing. I can just picture my nephew, my four-year nephew going through this, that he goes through, oh, mom, I am going to eat this and I'm not going to try that because you know what? This is not important for me. I can just hear the dialogue when you're speaking about these four-year-olds, how creative they are. That is that age group when they're so cute. You just want to listen and say, okay, baby, it's all good. That is that particular important age where you really have to set your boundaries. As you mentioned, be strict and affirmative when it comes to laying down your ground rules about eating habits. And I, I think you spelled it out wonderfully. Uh, when it comes to structure, I 100% agree with you. You have to have a structure from age two, age three. I think that's the perfect time, right? They're implementing it really young and it'll just set the path and don't have the junk food in the house and don't expose it to them that much. Because when I was a kid, I thought that apples and oranges were sweets. And I know that sounds kind of hokey, but that's, that's what was sweet to me. And one of my favorite snacks was peanut butter mixed with a bit of honey. And the kicker is I've passed that on to my daughter somehow. Does she like candy? Of course she does. But we also talk about how she feels after she's eaten it. And she's getting to that age already where she's a bit like, well, I don't, I'm worried about this or I'm concerned about what people are going to think of me. I'm like, and here it starts. Here it starts right here. All right. Up to me to empower her as much as I can while at the same time allowing her this independence to figure out who she is. Mm, that is so true. What do you have to say to our parents? Any other advice you can give yeah, there's a few things that I live by, as I've said it a few times now, don't buy the junk and it won't be there and not forcing them to eat. So when you put down that new food on the table, you don't have to eat. It's really simple. It takes the pressure off. I'm not forcing it. You don't have to. But again, the kitchen is closed at this time. Take them with you to when taking them with you to the grocery store. There's times that I take my daughter and I'm like, hey, you know what? Here's the cart. Pick out what you want. And we talk about it and she picks out really healthy options. And then when we get home, it's like I have to, I have to stay organized for her and have it eye level in the kitchen or eye level in the fridge and in the pantry so that she sees those chopped up fruits and veggies and she grabs for those. She sees the plant-based yogurts that we buy. 
identify. But when they're younger, right now she's at that age where she's choosing it for herself. But when they're younger, it's like, okay, it's snack time, right? You can have this with this or this with that. And that gives them the power of feeling like they chose their snack when in fact, you're the one that that's providing the choices. So that one's highly effective. They're having a complete meltdown. There's a couple of phrases that I stick by and I share with my, with my group and with my clients all the time. If they're having a meltdown, like I really, really want this piece of candy or I really, really want this snack. Okay. Hey, you know what? You can have it. But remember, we only have like one treat a day. And I mean a treat like candy or some chocolate buttons or whatever it is. You only have this one treat a day. So do you want it now? Or do you want it later? And again, it allows them to, to feel independent and in charge of, wow, okay, so I am allowed this snack. Mom's not saying no, because it's not like we don't allow our kids to have treats and candies and things like that. Of course we do. And, and when I was a kid growing up, it's not that I it was never around at all. It just was very rare. And it just wasn't a part of our day to day. Whereas I see now parents don't realize how much sugar is in their kid diet. So carbohydrates are sugar, no matter how you look at it, no matter how you chop it up, three things your body needs are protein, carbohydrates, and that um, our bodies do well on having higher amounts of fat. And I'm talking healthy fats. So like your avocados, easy way to get kids to eat it is give them trail mix with lots of different varieties of nuts in it. Cook with things like olive oil and coconut oil. I'm not a fan of the keto diet. I don't think that it's long-term very safe for our bodies. Equally, not a huge fan of the paleo diet where it's heavy on meat. I don't think our bodies need that much protein. And where the intuitive eating training comes in is how do I want to feel? And it was funny because years ago, before I even studied as an intuitive eating specialist, I was talking out loud to myself in the kitchen. What do I want to eat right now? I'm hungry. What do I want to eat? And my daughter looked at me and she was like four or five years old. And she said, mom, ask your body. And I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> listen to you, girl. <laughs> okay. You did it. <laughs> what? <laughs> really is. The whole diet culture is about, all right, I want to lose a bunch of weight. So I'm going to be really mean to my body and I'm going to restrict calories and I'm going to buy these snacks or these foods that say that they're low in fat or zero sugar, et cetera. And you feel deprived and you feel terrible. Your energy crashes. You're not sleeping well. You're all over the But when you get to a place, and it's actually a lot easier than you think, where you wake up and you you go, hey, body, I love you. I'm so glad that we're here together in this experience. And thank you, whoever your whatever your religious belief is. Thank you, God. Thank you, source for another amazing day and start talking, get in a habit mm -hmm. of talking to yourself like that. I started it years ago, I went through some very intense depression and some panic attacks some anxiety, and it was crippling. And I just woke up one day and I was like, I can't live like this anymore. How can I start taking care of myself? And it starts here with the thought that you think so wake up every day and be grateful grateful for whatever it is. If it's, I have eyes that I can see, I have a roof over my head. It doesn't matter big or small, but start waking up and feeling the sense of gratitude. It's a very, very high vibration and teach your kids the same thing. Like, Hey, sweetheart, good morning. If I rush in the morning and if I'm in a hurry, whatever it is, and I go to wake up my daughter, like, Hey, wake up, we got to go. She gets so upset because she's so used to me waking up and going, good morning, sweetheart. It's a beautiful day. How did you sleep? And I give her a kiss. And that is how she loves to wake up because I've been doing it for years. And that's her, that's her habit. That's her root. Parents can do that with themselves and with their kids. And it's automatically going to raise your, your vibration and your home mm -hmm. and the experience that you have with your kids and have with your family. Nutrition is a huge part of that. So when I talked earlier about two things to get right are your nutrition and your sleep, sleep is so important. And so what's missing in a, in a lot of our diet, not only do we have 80% of packaged foods are filled with a ton of sugar, sugar now has 
56 different names for it. Sugar comes in and it hijacks your hormones, your hormones responsibility and your hormones job. So we've got two hormones, one that tells us when we're hungry and one that tells us when we're full. It's called ghrelin and leptin. Now sugar comes in and hijacks, hijacks their job. So you keep eating and the hormone doesn't step in and tell you, hey, I'm full. So we keep eating mindlessly and that you, we've got this habit now and this routine now that wasn't around when we were kids. And so parents are faced with different challenges now. If the world is not the same, they've got this phone in front of their face or an iPad or a screen and they're mindlessly snacking away. So their brain is, is being, being interrupted by the blue light, right? By the programs that they're watching. There's subconscious programs being happening in, in some of the games that they're playing. I notice a difference in my daughter's behavior. I don't know about your teenagers, but if she gets into this kind of little routine of, you know, I want to chill and watch YouTube. And then I notice attitude comes in. I'm like, okay, YouTube's gone for a couple of days because it's doing something to your brain. And I'm sure there are a lot of studies. I haven't gone down that road myself personally or professionally yet, but we can see how it affects their mm -hmm. behavior. So reducing that screen time and allowing them time to relax. It's always been an important part of the structure in my house and in my schedule. She stopped napping actually at two years old. At two years old, that was that nap were done for me, but I still instilled quiet time. And you can quietly color. You can quietly read. You can quietly stare at the wall. But for an hour, we're all having some downtime. And that part of our schedule and routine every day. When she comes home from school, we're going to decompress for a little bit. You can, maybe you can write a story or read a book, whatever it is that she feels like doing that day, but to just relax and not have any interruptions or any engagement or any brain activity spiraling. But again, the challenges that parents are facing today are so much different. And the food system outside of the packaged foods, they're showing that the nutrient density of our soil, which is then feeding the food and the food itself doesn't have as much as many minerals and vitamins as it used to. It just doesn't. And that's proven across the board. That's with the introduction of GMOs, with the processing, with the fact that they cut it and they shipped it from somewhere else, took all that travel time. And so the food is, is dying before it even gets to you. So even if you're like, hey, you know what? Like I cook three vegetables a day as breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We include that somehow. It still isn't meeting your body's needs. And so kids are actually really deficient in a couple of minerals. And one of them is magnesium. And so magnesium is a really amazing nerve nourishing mineral. And so it allows us actually, if you incorporate magnesium into your diet, it's what keeps you asleep. Parents are having an issue with their kid falling asleep. Yes, things like melatonin work. It's a natural source that regulates your sleep cycle. And so pediatricians and doctors are out there recommending parents, hey, if your child is having a hard time sleeping at night, let's give them some melatonin. I'm like, and that's great. And you can short term, long term, but it helps them fall asleep and regulate their sleep cycle if they've gotten out of it long-term, that nerve nourishing mineral of magnesium, they've actually shown, I think it's around 70% of kids are deficient in magnesium. My personal recommendation, because people then ask me this follow-up question, well, which one do you use? I use the natural calm drink. It's a powder. It can be a little bit tart though. So I personally add liquid Devia to it. And then my daughter thinks it's like a lemonade. And so she loves that. And we do that a couple of times a week. The other thing that I think it's like 80 or 90% of us are deficient in is vitamin D. And now I live in San Diego. I'm in the sunshine. I do. I go out every single day. I get my 20, 30 minutes before the sun gets really intense around 10, 11 o'clock. So I do, I get that sunshine. But again, it's just not as powerful as it used to be. So taking a liquid vitamin D is what I prefer because it goes into, when you put it under your tongue and you take it sublingually, it absorbs into your system faster rather than taking a tablet, getting to your stomach acid and destroying half of the nutrients that are in there that, that you're intending to take as it is. So those are two that I recommend recommend as a blanket almost to everybody. Another one that people 
struggle and suffer with is actually a lack of iron. There's a lot of people out there that are iron deficient anemic and they don't know it, but you'd have to go to your doctor and get your iron levels tested. I couldn't just say, hey, go out and take 100 milligrams of iron as a blanket to everybody because you actually have to get your levels tested for that because it can be toxic for your system if you have too much. But looking at your kids' vitamin D and also giving kids some probiotics because again, our gut processing everything and our guts are damaged by the overuse of antibiotics. And now I've lived, as you said earlier, I've lived abroad, I've lived in London, and I had this great experience of their philosophy and thesis on healthcare. And so I remember my daughter was, I think she was eight or nine months old, and I was still breastfeeding and she got her first cold and she had a fever based on the American response, the Western response, oh my gosh, freak out, take her to the doctor. And I show up to the doctor. I'm like, my, you know, my nine month old has a fever. Oh gosh, what do I do? And I was totally stressed out. And he kind of laughed at me. And he was like, you're breastfeeding, right? Yes. Okay. Well, your body's going to produce the antibodies that she needs. So don't worry, take her home. What are you? We're so trained that we go to the doctor and get antibiotics. And if you need antibiotics, because you have a virus, absolutely go get antibiotics. I'm not suggesting that people don't do that. They actually take out all of the good bacteria with the bad bacteria. And we all have about four pounds of bacteria in our bodies, which balance all of our system. They help they help process our food and, and digest our food and they influence the hormones that again, go to your brain. You gotta have a really, you have to have integrity in your gut microbiome. And so the ways that you can do that is incorporating probiotics. There are some great options for kids and eating fermented foods. So the ones that I recommend for fermented foods that are kind of kid friendly are just find the yogurt, right? They're active culture, live yogurts, and you can put some like a parfait one that's one of our favorite things to do at home. I put blueberries and granola and a bit of honey and some chia seeds. And so have yogurt. Uh, kefir is another really popular one. My daughter doesn't like sauerkraut. She she does okay with kimchi, but she loves kombucha. So when I buy kombucha for her, I just look at the label, make sure that it's not really high in added sugar. And she it's like soda to her, right? And she doesn't have soda. So kombucha is like soda to her and incorporate those into your kid's diet a few times a week, because it's really going to strengthen the integrity of their gut, which is long term what all striving for in regards to our health, because the research, again, I always go back to, I look at things always in two ways, like logically and psychologically, and then where's the science to back what it is that I'm looking at. And I look at it kind of holistically of, okay, so we've got the data and the science there now to prove that our guts are imbalanced like they never have before, never have, never before have we seen the amount of junk in our food system and being marketed being marketed direct towards kids. Um, you know, you go down the cereal aisle, what do you see at Eiling? Fruit Loop, Captain Crunch, all of those things that are filled with oh, all the things, all the yeah. things. <laughs> what are your thoughts on omega-3? That's one of the things that I definitely believe in. Yeah, I love taking an omega-3. We use a liquid one again here at home, but then you can also get your omega-3s, which is fabulous for their brain development from things like salmon and cold water fish, like mackerels mm -hmm. and tuna. So we eat salmon at least once a week. It's also in chia seeds. So we make a chia seed pudding or I'll add it to smoothies or add it to a parfait. So I try and incorporate omega-3s as well as sixes along with the DHAs as much as possible. Beautiful. Love it. I think you summed it Quite well. And hopefully the listeners have gotten a lot of insight on how to support their children. And if not, I know for a fact they can reach out to you to get some guidance and support. And definitely they will be able to find on the link below. Now, Crystal, is there a particular email or website that you think is easier to of course I'll have the link, but is there any particular website or anything that they can reach out on? Yeah, my website is crystal clear 
clearkids.com. So it's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L and then clearkid.com. And on there, I have a book that I wrote actually for kids that is a super fun story talking to them about food and how it affects how they feel and what they think and things like that. And then I actually developed and launched last year in partnership with a few different active lifestyle organizations and companies uh, called the Family Support Program, which is a six part series and includes a ton of booklets and workbook and a gut reset guide, a bunch of recipes, mindfulness exercises for kids. I threw everything in there. And the series really walks parents through a lot of what we were just talking about, the mindset and mindfulness and the belief systems and how you can incorporate techniques and and practices and modalities into your home to immediately start connecting with your kids deeper because that's what we're all desiring the most is connection. That's our biological wiring as humans is to connect. And then I talk a bit about stress and I actually interviewed a PhD in psychology on stress and that's been his practice, Dr. Brian Allman, for 40 years. He's written 25 books. He's phenomenal. And I talk about gut health, nutritional requirement, as well as things like sugar. And then when it comes to the parent-child interactive therapy techniques, I walk people through real life scenarios of having a conversation with their child on how to integrate and work through some of the experiences for the best possible outcome. So the family support program, the book, reaching out to me one-on-one in person is all on my website, crystalclearkid.com. Love it. Thank you so much, Crystal. 